Welcome back to the Life with Color podcast, a podcast dedicated to examining the intersection between eating disorders in different societies around the world. Before we dive in, I want to encourage all of you to rate and review this podcast and to also share it on your social media. This really helps the message of hope and recovery reach more people and is so important. The Life with Color podcast is also on YouTube, so if you want to watch this week's episode and all past and future episodes, go ahead and check it out under the name Life with Color podcast. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Life with Color podcast. I'm your host, Katie Noyad, and today we're gonna do something a little bit different. I actually have on one of my previous guests, Josephine Hansen, and she's going to be actually doing the interviewing and I'm going to be in the hot seat today. So I'll be sharing my uh, recovery story from being in the U.S. And um, just a little bit of a shameless plug before moving forward too is that Josie was episode number three. So I highly encourage you to check out her story. Um, It's so powerful and incredible. So go ahead, give it a listen and also check out the other episodes as well because they also have incredible stories of hope and recovery from eating disorders too. So um, that's my little plug of today. But anyway, Josie, why don't we go ahead and get started then? Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Katie. So today we're going to be doing an episode of the International Recovery Series. So this series seeks to examine the intersection between different societies and eating disorders, as well as highlight stories of hope and recovery from individuals around the world. So please note that some of the content in the recovery series may be potentially triggering for listeners. So discretion is advised. So Katie, of course, listeners probably already know you But let's go ahead and dive into your biography just for a second. Katie Noyer is from Minnesota, USA, and she's very passionate about international societies and cultures. After high school, Katie was a Rotary exchange student here in Denmark before moving to Oregon to pursue her undergraduate degree. She graduated with magna cum laude honors and with a degree in social science focusing on sociology, physiology, and political science. So after university, Katie decided to move to Dubai, a lovely story by the way, and worked as an English teacher. Katie now resides in Denmark with her partner and will be starting her graduate studies in just two weeks here in Denmark. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, let's just go ahead and dive into the questions. Are you ready for it? Absolutely. And also thank you for that fantastic introduction. It's really funny being on the other side of this too, but you were doing such a good job. So thank you, Josie. you're welcome. I'm sure it'll be good for the listeners to hear your side of the story as well. All right. Well, first, um, I wanted to hear a little bit how your eating disorder started and what it includes. I would love to get us started on that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my eating disorder really started when I was about 15 years old. You know, growing up, I I was an active kid. I played soccer. I was a a dancer. You know, we went on like family bike rides and we, we did a lot of things that were, I would say positive, like positive forms of movement. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old where I, I started to hear these messages like, you know, you should probably be eating like really clean food. And if you want to feel strong, if you want to get that certain like look, you need to be doing certain things to achieve that. And that wasn't the main focus for me. But I know I really wanted to be healthy. And I was like, I'm already doing these healthy things. You know, I'm, I'm dancing, I'm competing, I'm doing a lot, you know, and I, I'm kind of tired at school. So I, I think maybe if I were to nourish my body the right way with the correct foods, then 
maybe I'll, I'll feel a little bit better. So that's kind of how things started. And so I was getting those messages and I, I really took them to heart. An interest in health suddenly shifted into more of an obsession with health too. I think a lot of my thoughts started revolving around my next meal, what it was going to contain, you know, what time I was going to eat at. I had very rigid rules and a very strict structure with how I was putting food and nutrition into my body. And I started working out a little bit more too, because um, I felt that with dance, maybe that wasn't enough. Maybe I wanted to do a little bit more. So I was introducing more activity. And, um, you know, the, the tough thing is, is that at 15, I think you're often influenced by the people you hang out with too. And I think I was hanging out with some people who put a lot of focus on what they look like. Maybe they were relaying messages from diet culture that were really unhealthy and, um, so I think that also kind of influenced that perspective too. For me, it kind of shifted from, yeah, the, the need for being healthy or the desire to be, health, to be healthy to um, just a full-on obsession. So it kind of started spiraling in that case. And um, I think the craziest thing is that I could recognize at that point that something kind of dark and, and cynical was happening to myself. I could recognize that the, the patterns I was having, my, my obsessions, these thought patterns, they were not normal. Um, and it was, it was scary to see that. It was really scary to experience that, but then also get praised for it. There were guys who I liked who, you know, they started talking to me a little bit more and people, and you know, even like, like my parents' friends or, you know, different people would make comments, you know, like, oh, you, you look so you look so healthy. You're like, oh, it looks like you're really taking care of your health. And as a dancer too, uh, you have mirrors all around you too. And um, at the competitive studio, I was at the attire that you wore was either like leotard and tights, otherwise like a sports bra and, and booty shorts. So you're always seeing yourself too. And it seemed that when I was at a certain point, I was getting really, really good spots. And um, teachers are saying, wow, guys, everyone look at Katie's determination. Like she's, she's really taking things seriously. And so I was getting praised and rewarded for these really bad habits that I was having. And it was scary because I could see, I could see that it wasn't healthy, but I think that's how it started. That's how it, things kind of took off. What happened then? Because 15, that's quite a while ago. You know, what's crazy is that I, I was never diagnosed with anorexia. You know, I, I went undiagnosed with anything. I think it probably would have been more of like orthorexia, where it's like you're very rigid with your food, but it's not quite a, a mental illness. But then slowly things started to shift for me because I, I could not stop thinking about food. I mean, it started to like control my life in ways that were just, it was really tough, you know, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I started, I started binging. I started binging on food and um, overeating on things that maybe I thought were considered healthy. Maybe they were the good foods and sometimes they were the bad foods. And when I would eat these foods, and right now I'm doing air quotes for the listeners who can't see right now, but when I would eat these quote bad foods, I would feel like such a failure. Because for so long I had been able to be good. For so long I was able to be enough. But it started shifting to the fact that, you know, I was, I was becoming out of control and it was shifting to kind of this, this eating disorder that was I'll say like a little less sexy or that's how it's perceived, which is horrible because all eating disorders deserve to be treated with respect and compassion and dignity. But I think oftentimes people see someone who is restricting and they say, oh, wow, what, what control? And it's, it's so much more than that. I mean, it's a mental illness. It's not about willpower or determination. It's completely different. Um, 
But when I was kind of going on this other side where I was, um, you know, um, binging on food, I had so much shame associated with it. So that was kind of how that snowballed a little bit too. What's interesting with eating disorders, there are times in your life when they are difficult and there are times when they kind of go away. And for me, Mine kind of went away a little bit during my senior year of high school. I had an internship at the Minnesota State Capitol and I was helping out with my mentor. I'm just gonna do a quick shout out. Mary LaHammer is one of the most incredible people who I've ever met and I still um, look up to her dearly. Um, but I was at Twin Cities Public Television. During that time, my eating disorder thoughts kind of slowed a little bit. I really felt like I was doing something. Um, I was doing something that I was really proud of. And so my thoughts kind of went away a little bit. And actually it wasn't until I was a Danish exchange student and I lived with um, Josie's family and I lived with two other families too that uh, my eating disorder kind of picked up again, I think after being okay for a while. So and you and I have talked about this too, how eating disorders, they, they kind of fluctuate. Sometimes they're a little bit better, sometimes they're worse. And in times of change, in times of great stress, sometimes your eating disorder will kick in as a coping mechanism. And I think um, for me, I, if I look back at my year, there are so many incredible things, but there are also things that were, were challenging. And I think my eating disorder kind of stepped up to say, okay, well, let's not feel these feelings. Let's not feel that you're not enough. Let's not feel that maybe you're not good at Danish. Maybe you don't look the same way that you used to. Let's not feel these. And let's focus on something concrete, like these thoughts instead. So that was kind of a, a big part of my year. It was kind of pushing that away. And Josie, I don't know if you remember this, but there was one dinner. Josie has a fantastic family and they have these dinners once a week too. Her grandma makes a, a beautiful meal. You know, everyone comes together. But I remember at that time in my life, I, I remember asking you like, Josie, I can't stop thinking about sweets. I can't stop thinking about candy. If I reach for it, tell me no. Like, do not let me eat that type of food. And I don't know if you remember that at all, but that obviously was really unhealthy too. And um, yeah, do you, do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, but I still feel like it's, you know, it's like such a normal part of like everybody saying, oh, please, please take the, the candy ball away from me because I can't take it. For me, it's kind of like, can I say like a normal, unfortunately, it's a normal thing for you to say. So I don't exactly recognize this specific um, like pattern that you're, story that you're saying, but I can totally recognize it and see it as something that would have happened. Like to basically anybody, but for you, of course, it was it was something else, and I'm I'm so sorry. I know that it was hard time for you doing um, doing the year, and I wish that we had had like each other a lot more in that special time. But um, yeah, but I'm glad that we now are able to talk about it, and you're doing such a good job of telling your story and helping others. Oh well, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and when you're in it too, there there can be a lot of shame as well. So you, you don't necessarily want to talk to everyone about it. And yeah, I, I appreciate uh, you and I connecting now and being able to talk about this thing and try to help others with it too. But yeah, I think um, I, I learned a lot from my year in Denmark too. And of course, this wasn't the whole part of my year, but it, it was a part of it. I think things continued when I ended up going to Oregon. So that's where I went for university. I thought like, okay, fresh start. You know, Denmark, I thought might have been a fresh start. It, you know, it, it didn't work out. And I, when I moved to Oregon, I was like, okay, this is where I'll do it. Like, this is where I'll really start, start living healthily again. Because I had done it in the past. I had known how to do it. Um, and so let's, let's go ahead and go again. Of course, that didn't work, and same same patterns where it was uh, harming my body, where 
um, I would restrict and then um, I would overeat or, you know, it, it was this out of control sensation essentially. And it got to the point where I remember calling my mom, this is like spring term of my freshman year, a little bit before. And she was, uh, she was trying to cheer me up. I was feeling a little bit down that time too. She was like, okay, well, Katie, like what's going on? What's like a good thing that's happened? I was like, okay, well, I, I actually, I went on a date and that, that was okay. And she's like, okay, well, well, tell me about it. Like, what'd you guys do? And I was like, okay, well, um, I, we, we got milkshakes, but I couldn't keep it down. Um, and yeah, yeah. So that was the moment I think when my mom, she really stepped in and she said like, okay, if you can't enjoy these like simple things in life, if you can't go out and, you know, experience life, if you can't live it to the fullest, we need to get you some help. And at that point, I think I was just, I was so defeated. I was so defeated and so fed up about having had this thing for so many like years um, that I was, I was just ready. I was ready to get help. So I was living out in Oregon at the time and I, you know, there wasn't a lot of resources in central Oregon. Um, if I wanted to, I could have treatment in like Corvallis or Portland or Salem. Far away did you say that would be? Was it like? Um, around two, two and a half, three hours or so. But again, I was living in the state by myself. Um, yeah. And so my family just said, come back to Minnesota. Just come back. It's fine. You were gone in Denmark. You were gone in Oregon. Just, just come back and things will be good. So um, that's kind of where my treatment process started is when I went back to, to um, Minnesota. So I can share a little bit about the, the treatment process too, if you'd like. I love that. Like, how did it look for you? And, and you said that it started at this time, but I want to hear all about the process for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went in um, to the treatment center. And I, one thing that I will say too, is that I was lucky as a, a white cisgender female, you know, I was able to be believed when I said I had an eating disorder. And, you know, I fit the stereotype in terms of people who would develop one, like someone who's type A, perfectionistic, an ex-dancer, like all these different things. And so when I went in for treatment, I was believed. Um, and I know that's not the case for everyone. So I just want to say something before kind of hopping in is that, you know, people of all genders, races, classes, sexual orientations, everyone can unfortunately develop an eating disorder too. So it's so important that we can send that message forward. But my, my treatment process really was that, uh, you know, I had something called symptom interruption. And so it's like two week inpatient for that, you know, you kind of give up your rights. Essentially, you um, aren't able to have a razor um, for one, and your hand is kind of held through that process too. So you have nurses who are taking care of you. The way I remember it is that we had people making sure that you didn't do things that would be seen as, as symptoms for an eating disorder. Um, the first thing they did when you woke up in the morning was like 5 a.m. They woke you up and um, they took your vitals. They made sure that your heart was okay, that your blood pressure was okay, um, and then they would weigh you to make sure that you are at a, a stable weight and they did all these things. And I just remember, I thought like, I'm not sick enough for this. Like, this is like, I, this is so nuts. And, um, you know, at the time I, maybe I, I was, but I, it was just, um, it was an experience that I definitely needed. And I think it does, it absolutely saves lives. Treatment does. And I think anyone who is struggling should not be afraid of it. But I think I also was coming at it from a point where I had something like mono, like I, it wasn't, specifically mono, but it was this like sister illness that they basically were like, Katie, it's mono. Um, and I wasn't able to go to these like 
appointments with my therapist. I, I was so sick that I just like slept the whole time. So they're like, can't you just go home? Just go home. So I did. And then I came back after two weeks and then started like the real treatment process for me. Um, so I was really happy personally that I didn't have to go back to inpatient, but I think I, I did need that experience to really, it kind of shocked me into like, okay, this, I don't, I want to live a life that is full. I want to get better. It was basically outpatient was like, I think it was eight to 5 PM. So it was like a full-time job almost. And you met with uh, eating disorder professionals, like psychologists, psychiatrists, um, nutritionists, um, a medical doctor. We did group therapy too, art therapy music therapy. I mean, it was a, a really good program. And I see that maybe it was, it was privilege that helped get me there too, because I know not everyone had that experience. Um, but I'm very thankful for it. But in the group therapy, I just remember it could have been an issue where you hear other people's stories and then you think, oh, this is how I'll, I'll take control. But it wasn't for me. It was the most empowering thing to see people go around this, like the table and, um, kind of share their struggles, but how they overcame them. I saw people around me who so desperately wanted to get better and they're sharing their ways of doing it. I remember like, it's it's a very tricky part of this. Like, do we do group therapy or not? Cause you had a good experience, but when I was, um, I was in treatment, they looked at me and said like, we're not allowing you to do that cause you just get good ideas. So I was like, Ooh, are there any good ideas? So it was kind of like, like it's too bad that I maybe didn't go in and and had the experience like that you had where you saw people wanting to get help but you know it all always differentiates so I'm glad that you had a group where you could feel yeah. motivated about getting better yeah you know I am too and I, it's a bummer you didn't have that that experience too I think the the therapists that we were working with they were really good at if someone said something that was potentially triggering they'd be like okay well that's your eating disorder talking that's not you that's not you coming forward. So it was, it was recovery focused, I think, too. Um, I remember there's this one gentleman and he said the most profound thing. And I still remember him. Um, he was just like, I, food for me is medicine. And I need to take it every day at the right times to get better. And that's what I want to do. I want to get better. I want to live a life that's full and um, where I can hang out with my family. He was, he was a dad. He was a dad. And yeah, he just, he wanted to live and now we say live your best life, but he, he truly did. And um, yeah, so for me, having those group sessions was really, really powerful. Yeah, well, that sounds like um, a wonderful experience. And I'm glad that you got the help as an inpatient and, and as an outpatient, which you told me you got into later. Um, another really interesting thing about your whole story, I personally think, is how you um, decided to go into advocating for um, not for eating disorder, but for helping and getting resources. Um, so could you please tell the audience about your experience with that and how that went to went about and how you got your eyes open to that whole issue? Yeah, yeah. So I think I was kind of riding this high of getting out of eating disorder treatment. And I had heard all these like really wonderful messages about recovery. And um, we had followed a lot of Brene Brown. We listened to her, her talks about the opposite of shame is vulnerability. And it's so important for you to be vulnerable and to connect with people and, you know, to, to be brave, to be brave. And, um, you know, I just, I really felt like I had overcome my eating disorder. Of course, there were times when, you know, it was day by day, that kind of thing. But for me, I, I felt kind of a calling to this cause. 
and I felt, I didn't want to be on like a soapbox, but I was like, I have a message to say, like diet culture sucks. You know, like you guys don't need to be doing anything to your bodies. You're perfect the way you are. Like I had, I had so much I wanted to say. And when it came down to it, I came across the National Eating Disorder Association or NIDA. I found that they were doing like these NIDA walks essentially, and they celebrated recovery. They um, helped raise money for, you know, treatment. They have so many different resources like education, research, all this stuff. And so I, I came across NIDA and I thought, okay, well maybe, maybe I should do a NIDA walk because when, of course, I lived in Bend. Oh, another thing I should add is that after treatment, I moved back to Oregon and um, continued my education. But yeah, I, I realized that, okay, there are two universities here. We have Central Oregon Community College. We have Oregon State University Cascades, and we don't have access to care. And that's a huge issue. Those are two universities that's a susceptible age to eating disorders flaring up. And so I just decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try to help other people deal with this thing that sucks. <laughs> like eating disorders suck. So um, that that's kind of where that started. And for me, it was, it was such a healing process to connect with other professionals um, across the country too. I went to the Chicago NIDA conference um, back in 2016. And, you know, just to hear these stories of hope, hear these stories of recovery. It just really helped me stay on track too and also inspired me to, to help others as well. So by that time, you had a really good actually spot in your recovery. You were doing quite well, is my understanding? Yeah, I really was. And um, Nita says that you need at least two years of solid recovery before you know, hopping onto this kind of thing too. So it wasn't immediately after I, I got home, I got off the, the plane. I'm like, need a walk. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> it wasn't like that. You know, I had some time and I, I had aftercare too. I, I met with a professional to make sure I was, you know, staying well and staying in recovery too. So yeah. And you know, that uh, being the coordinator for this event and um, that gave me the opportunity to speak in the community, connect with people who don't know about eating disorders and and to kind of squash stereotypes and to just bring education on the subject because yeah, not everyone wants to talk about eating disorders. Not everyone knows. Um, you know, I've even heard it be called like a, a weakness before. Um, someone said something that was like, a, oh, I, I wish I had an eating disorder. I just, I eat too much bacon or something. And just like people, they make these comments and I don't think they realize that. I mean, it's, it's deadly. You know, it's the number two most deadly psychological illness behind opioid addiction. And so when people make these comments, it's like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. It's, it's a real thing. And, um, you know, diets can play a part into it, but you know, it's, it's a true mental illness and people need to, we need to all help each other understand where people are coming from and, you know, be supportive. You, you talked about it a little bit before about this whole uh, point of like, it can happen to anybody, like man, woman of age or anything um which like for me as well it's it, it's important to also talk about you talked about on your last podcast i i think how every body type is able to have it because when i tell my story to people they look at me and say oh well you don't look like you have an eating disorder you never look like you have so you know, you talked about it and it, please do listen to the last episode because that was wonderful as well and an eye-opener to me. But it's just so sad that people don't understand, like you say, it's a mental illness and it's not all about what the number on the weight scale says. It's a, it's a lot. It's yeah. a mental illness. Yeah, really good yeah. points. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing about recovery and you talked about it being a wonderful experience for you. And um, let's go into something completely else which I personally said that 
um, knowing that you had an eating disorder and dealing with this, I, I thought it was completely strange for me to hear that you would go into uh, this whole system of Miss America. Um, you did that during university, as I remember, and I asked you about it at one point, being a dumb Danish person saying like, well, beauty people, that's just, you know, isn't that just like dressing up in, in gowns and having to look um, thinnest in most makeup, you know, you told me at one point, I don't know if you remember probably what you tell a lot of people that it's about raising awareness about a subject. It's about helping you get um, scholarships for school and it's about having a good activity to do. And so please like tell me about how you were able to do that during a recovery and how maybe that impacted because I feel like it would be positive. Uh, positive suits you could help other people who might be in a hurtful situation or you could yeah just please open up yeah like everything you just said I'm like check 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 you got it all um yeah so a lot of people don't they know of Miss America but they they think of the stereotype right um yeah you just you just wave and it's it's the wave where it's slow and you know you're you're so above and that kind of thing but um you know for me what I was drawn to this program about or why I was drawn to this program was that the number one thing you get is scholarship money. So um, even if you just step foot on stage, you get money to pay for school. And in the US, we've talked about this, school's expensive. And so I thought, okay, well, this is like a fun way. I don't have to write an essay, so this would be kind of a fun way to do it. So that was the component was that I would get scholarship money. Um, and then um, the way the competition, when I competed, um, it's changed now. So, um, but when I competed, we had different components. So um, you had an interview. And they weren't asking these questions like, what's your favorite color? Like they were asking like really tough, politically loaded questions. So it made you look at all of your opinions. It made you educate yourself. It made you talk to the, the community and see, okay, well, what do you think? Okay, this is what I think. And you kind of like bounce ideas off of each other. We had onstage questions too. So you were able to stand in front of an audience and, and speak publicly. And um, that was a huge part. There was evening gown. There was um, a talent component as well. So talent was another reason that drew me to it is because I, you know, I danced for so long and um, it was just such a big part of my life. That was a fun excuse to get in, into it again. And then the last one was swimsuit. And I think that's kind of what people, um, they ask about too a lot with uh, being an eating disorder advocate or not for eating disorders, but for someone um, for being in recovery. And swimsuit to me, I'm a little bit conflicted on it because as someone in recovery, I personally felt that it was the most empowering thing I could do because I got up on that stage and I knew that I did not do anything to my body that was eating disorder related. You know, I didn't do anything that diet culture was promoting. I knew I got up on that stage because I love my body and I had cared for it. And this is my re recovery body. So it was like, I get chills talking about it because it just, you know, it just for me, it felt like this is who I am. This is Brene Brown. This is me saying, okay, I'm being vulnerable right now. And, you know, um, so that was huge. I also think on the other hand of that too, is that it was probably a really toxic environment for a lot of people. And I had, of course, just come from professional help. I had just had this experience that taught me a lot of ways to um, rethink the world. But most of these girls didn't have that experience. And so they, you know, were getting fed these messages and they were thinking that they had to be a certain way if they wanted to get the scholarship money and, and this and that. Um, so I think it, it probably could have been a really toxic environment. And so for that reason, and also for being 
a feminist in 2020, I think also, um, we don't necessarily need the, the swimsuit competition. So anyway, they end up axing it. So we no longer have swimsuit. Miss America no longer has evening gown. And now it's more of like a, you do a TED talk, you have your interview, it's more public speaking. Um, so now they're not being judged on their appearance at all. And I think that's, it's so important. But um, I think kind of in conclusion, the, the thing that I loved most about the Miss America organization was that they encourage you to have a community project. Um, when I was competing, it was called a platform. Now it's called a social impact initiative, but you have to be dedicated to your community. You have to be volunteering. You have to have something that just like lights you up. And for me, that was helping people overcome eating disorders, helping raise awareness that this is a real issue and it's not something just to be thrown under the rug. It's something that really affects people. And so that was a big part of it. So I, I competed for three years. You know, I continued when I first got into it. I, it was a decision I made with my mental health professional to make sure that, is this something I really want to be doing? Is this something that could be an issue? Um, but I, I did have support and being open and talking about my background with an eating disorder really helped to make sure that, okay, this is not something I'm going to hop back into. I am going to make sure that I can also help the other girls too, if need be, choose the, the path of recovery. Well, that's wonderful. I really hope that there is a like image change about what our perception of beauty pageants is, because now that I learned about it and I've heard your stories about what it's been like, it's a lot more about what you say about um, public speaking and, and raising awareness for good causes and everything. And, not about the beauty pageants, uh, like basic understanding that we have as um, as a bad image. So I think um, it would be wonderful to have a shift in in that direction. I will say that some are like that. Oh, there are okay. pageants out there that are based on how how you look. But you know, Miss America, I I grew so much as a person, and I can now share my story and. Um, inspired me to, to help others and to kind of pay it forward too. So I have nothing but respect for this organization and the time I had. All right. Well, let's shift gears to your living situations. And um, we tried to like make a lifeline of your whole story, but it's very, very long and a very beautiful experience that you had. You've both been living in the States, different places than you lived in, in Dubai. And then of course, Denmark. So what is your understanding about what a country like do for an eating disorder and and how the environment impacts it. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So again, I'm coming from my like all of my background and my personal experiences. This is kind of the perception that I see. Um, so it could be a different answer for everyone. You know, diet culture is something we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Um, it plays a factor in every single one of the countries that I've lived in. When I think of Dubai, I think of, you know, there's a lot of beach parties and um, you go out. And of, of course, this is, we lived in the marina, so it was a more westernized area, but um, nightlife was a big part of it. Um, I was in my early 20s. And so appearance played a factor and it was kind Kind of like I don't know if you've ever watched Love Island or are familiar with it but it kind of had some Love Island vibes going on at certain places <laughs> like you know people are just all out and you know um, there are people gymming it up and you know so I think that was kind of a, a potentially triggering environment so you know you can find those little pockets everywhere and in Denmark and um, what we talked about on Josie's episode too was that you know this is a very quote healthy focused culture too where um, you want to make sure you are eating the organic and this and that and um, biking is something that's very common too so I think each society has things that could be a little bit triggering if taken to the next level I think 
And of course we know the US and we have diet culture just all around us 100% of the time. Yeah, so no matter where you go, it's important just to be able to recognize diet culture, recognize um, messages that are harmful and just reject them, get rid of them and say, okay, well, this is what is happening now, but here's the reality. You know, I love my body. I love, um, you know, being a well, and this is how I can do it. And by following this path, I'm not going to get there. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, like standing up for myself. I'm glad to hear that. So is there any place you would say it's the best place to uh, live? Okay. You know, I, I'm never one to give a straight answer in terms of like this place done. Each place had things that, and have things that I really, really love and respect. Um, of course, the U.S. is home to me. Um, and there's a lot of things, you know, I have family members and friends and Rotarians, a lot of people who I respect in the U.S. So there's that part. The Danish society I really respect too. Um, I respect that you guys care for one another and that you want to make sure that people are treated equally. So there's, you know, each part, um, or there are parts of each society that I think are, are fantastic. With the UAE, they want to be very tolerant. So there are over 200 nationalities living in one place. So with that, you know, there could be conflict, but they have a very peaceful society, I'd say to an extent, and um, that's another topic too. But yeah, so I, I can't give you a straight answer. Right now, I, I do love living in Denmark, especially with the summer weather right now. Um, we don't always get a, a hard summer, but right now we've had about two weeks of good weather. So I'm living for it. All right. Well, thank you for trying. To <laughs> thank you for not answering my question. <laughs> practicing your debate <laughs> well just um to round it up i have some quick questions that i would like to ask you about um that we always that you always ask in these recovery series so first of all i would like to ask if there's anything that's been like particularly particularly hurtful in your recovery yeah um what i think of is i I started following people who were not promoting recovery on Instagram without realizing it. You know, I, I love fashion and I love travel and I started following all these like fashion and travel bloggers. And, you know, every day I was seeing pictures of like the same body type, you know, the same look, the same hair color, and there wasn't a lot of diversity and seeing those pictures and seeing these people living these remarkable lives. And of course it's social media, it's just a little snapshot, a snapshot of their lives. Um, you know, you compare yourself. And so I think that was really hurtful. And so, you know, um, during the Corona times when it was, it was really intense, I ended up just saying, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to delete everyone. I think I delifted, like, or deleted, excuse me, like 50 accounts basically that I was following and replaced them with people who were body positive, replaced them with people who have um, different looks, who have different backgrounds, who have different perspectives. And it's been so helpful. So I think, yeah, just get rid of those accounts that are toxic. I was just thinking the other day, like, wow, I think Instagram is becoming more um, uh, intercultural and better at um, recognizing people of all body types. And then I, and I ended up saying like, well, good job, Josie. Yes. That's not Instagram. That's actually yourself who's like following the right people. Yeah, so that's you. That was good. That's all you, girl. Yeah, I totally agree. Go follow somebody that you, you wouldn't expect to follow and and follow some people that's been really good about uh, helping you everybody get a better understanding about black lives matter and yeah mm -hmm. yes for yes everybody all right well let's jump into the opposite and ask you what has been helpful in your whole recovery yeah i think one of the biggest messages that i took away from my treatment experience was um i was in um, a session with just my my therapist and we were talking about body image 
And I remember saying like, okay, well, how am I supposed to go about living my life and being all like body positive when I see people on TV look a certain way? I just watched Dirty Dancing and the main character in that um, has a certain body and that's triggering to me. And what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I even get past this? And she just said, all right, put on your little like scientific jacket, you know, you have your little safety goggles on and think about it, okay? How did they do this? You know, was it good lighting? Um, was it they had a personal trainer? Was it that they actually were really unhealthy? I think um, one time I was talking to a lady um, or one of my, um, the professionals on the team, and she was saying that the movie Footloose, not the original, but the second Footloose, the main character, I think it was Julianne Huck, is it? Or Q? I, I can't remember. She's, she's a professional dancer and um, she's fantastic. But I know um, she was telling me that this uh, actress, she had to fit into a certain mold um, that they wanted and they want her to look a certain way. And she actually opened up about how miserable she was. She's like, I had no energy. I was so cranky, you know, like it, I wasn't doing um, justice to my body. So being able to hear those stories and say, okay, the people who we see who think are, are really doing it, they might be harming themselves. And that's not something to strive for. And when you look at magazines, okay, how did they do it? Again, was it lighting? Was it makeup? Was it, you know, it can be all these different things. Maybe it was Photoshop. Um, there's even this YouTube video I recommend all of you guys watching. And it's crazy. They literally take a pizza and turn it into a girl wearing a red bikini. And they did it. And so it's like, what you see is not real. So I think the biggest thing I recommend all of us to ask ourselves is, how did they do this? And if it's not for us, get rid of it. That's a good, that's a good uh, way of thinking about it. Yeah. So last but not least, a very important question. Do you have any advice for people who are currently struggling in the United States or around the world? But I want to hear about more societies. You talked about Nita. Is there anything else that would be helpful? Yeah, I think um, just get help. It, eating disorders are, are so, so painful and so isolating and it can be really scary to get help and to take those first steps. And sometimes there are certain societies that are not welcoming when it comes to mental health and um, mental wellness. And I think um, it's important to know yourself and know what is, is right for you. And there, there is help online too. Um, I know the National Eating Disorder Association, they have great resources online. You know, they have articles, they have um, like educational resources, so you can learn a little bit more. Um, there's blogs, there's so much. If you live in the US, there's um, even a map where you can find someone who is um, a provider close to you. But I would just say, get help, you know, communicate, and um, don't be afraid of jumping into recovery. It's a little scary, but once you get onto the other side, you just have such a full life, and one that is truly worth living, and you just, yeah, it's just full of color it's full of opportunities so I just say um jump into recovery come with that sounds wonderful well thank you Sidian thank you for uh, allowing me to uh, host this episode of the yes. show and for sharing your story it's been wonderful we always get a little bit snip snip of your story in the other episodes but it's been wonderful to hear your full story well a little bit of about yeah. it so yeah well thank you so much Josie it's seriously such a treat to be able to share my story and also to do it with you too and um, again I hope everyone can go ahead and give Josie's episode a listen um, she's fantastic and um, yeah thank you all for for listening today I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the life with color podcast tune in every Wednesday at 6 p.m central European time for the latest episodes 
If you'd like, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the Life with Color podcast, leave a review, or even share a screenshot to social media. Can't get enough? Check out the Life with Color podcast YouTube channel to watch the latest episodes. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and katherinehn.com. Thanks so much for listening, and may you always choose a life with color.